All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Man, praise the Lord, you have finished well uh, at the end of this week. Here we are, Lesson 43, Jeremiah 37, 38, and 39. It doesn't get any easier, the timeline, the topic, but yet uh, <laughs> it's still really intriguing because here we are now towards the end of Jeremiah's life. And yet, Kevin, we actually have a lot more chapters to go. I think you have up to 52 chapters, so it's just getting interesting. And when we jump into Jeremiah 37... Okay, I want to just give you the first couple verses, and then I'm, I'm actually going to start going through both of these chapters. I think there's too much here to not be able to do that. Uh, in verse 1, it says this, Zedekiah, son of Josiah, reigned as king in the land of Judah in place of Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made him king. So, Kevin, we're back. We're back in the time frame of, oh, okay, now we're back into may, maybe current times, you know, when, when, when we're reading this. And so then it continues on in verse 2. It says, he and his officers and the people of the land did not obey the words of the Lord that he spoke through Jeremiah the prophet. Well, that's a no-brainer. 23 years, nobody's obeying Jeremiah's words that the Lord is speaking. And in verse, uh, in verse 3, nevertheless, King Zedekiah sent Jehokal, son of Shelemiah, and Zephaniah, son of Messiah, and to the, pre, the, the priest, to Jeremiah the prophet, requesting, please pray to the Lord our God for us. So, did, I'm sorry, did you guys catch this? They sent some folks, okay, uh, to Jeremiah. And they said to Jeremiah, please, sir, pray for us. Pray to the Lord our God for us. <laughs> I don't know if there's like inner giggles or what. I don't know what he was thinking. In verse 4, Jeremiah says he was going throughout his daily tasks, for yet they had not put him into the prison. So Kevin, he hasn't been imprisoned yet. So we're... Not quite back. No, but we're just a little before Jeremiah 33 now. Okay, we're back here a little bit. And, and <laughs> he's just doing his daily tasks. And in verse 5, it says this, Pharaoh's army had left Egypt when the Chaldeans, who were besieging Jerusalem, heard the report. They withdrew from Jerusalem. So some activities going clearly on in Jerusalem. Some are pulling out, some are attacking. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet. And he said, hey, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. This is what you're going to say to Judas King, Zedekiah, who's sending you to inquire me. Watch. Remember, he says, please pray. Okay, so Pharaoh's army, which has come out to help you, is going to return to its own land of Egypt. But now in verse 8, here's the word. Remember, remember, he says, would you pray for me? And the word is, is oh, by the way, the Chaldeans are going to return. They're going to fight against Jerusalem and they're going to capture it and then <laughs> burn it down. Like, burn it down. <laughs> uh, now go to verse 12, if you would, Kevin, okay? If you would go to verse 12. So then Jeremiah started to leave Jerusalem to go to the land of Benjamin to claim his portion there among the people. But he hadn't bought the land yet. Kevin, he's going to. He's going to buy the land. He's going to get the land, okay? So in this process, I want to jump to verse, uh, verse 13. On his way, when he was at the Benjamin Gate, an officer of the guard was there. whose name was Irijah, son of Shelemiah, son of Hananiah. And he apprehended Jeremiah the prophet, saying, You're deserting. You are deserting to the Chaldeans. Hmm. So, Kevin... Hence, here you have in verse 13, and really an on, he's arrested. 
you get into verse 15, this is what they do to him. The officials were angry at Jeremiah. They beat him and placed him in jail in the house of Jonathan, the scribe, for it had been made into a prison. So at least this is one of the imprisonments. In fact, there's at least five recorded imprisonments of the prophet. Okay, so this would be one of them. He's beaten and arrested. And then verse 17 of Jeremiah 37, King Zedekiah later sent for the prophet and he received him. And in his house privately asked him, is there a word from the Lord? And Jeremiah's like, oh, there is. <laughs> You'll be handed over to the king of Babylon. Like, poor guy. I mean, which one is more of an idiot, right? Zedekiah keeps asking and Jeremiah keeps telling him the same thing. Like, it's a no-win situation. Jeremiah is walking clearly in the Lord. Zedekiah is clearly not, but he just wants to hear something that makes sense. Maybe if you keep asking, it'll change. It doesn't seem like it's going to happen. In verse 21, again, we're doing a quick overview of Jeremiah 37. Uh, in verse 21, then, so King Zedekiah gave orders, and Jeremiah was placed in the guard's courtyard. He was given a loaf of bread each day from the baker's street until all the bread was gone from the city. So Jeremiah remained in the courts and the guard's courtyard. So Kevin, this sure looks like the imprisonment again, right? Another one. And now he's given food. And he's given a loaf of bread, okay, daily. So Jeremiah 37, this is kind of what you're going to see, at least one, maybe two imprisonments, maybe. And we know that he's released a word, at least two, the city's going to burn, and you're going to be turned over. All right, so there is Jeremiah 37. Sounds really encouraging. Now, if you go to Jeremiah 38, again, this is really important to understand as you transition into Jeremiah 39. Now, Shephatiah, son of Matan, Gadaliah, son of Pashur, Jukal, son of Shelemiah, and Pasher, son of Malkijah, heard the words Jeremiah was speaking to all the people. Did you catch all that? All right. These people heard Jeremiah speaking. <laughs> there you go. Now as it jumps into, okay, anybody in the city, let's go to verse 2. This is what the Lord says. Whoever stays in the city will die by the sword, famine and plague. That's the phrase, you guys, sword, famine, and plague. But whoever surrenders to the Chaldeans will live. He will keep his life like the spoils of war and will live. In other words, don't fight. Like literally just surrender. It's the white flag, I give up. And just trust that you're going to live. And then the scripture continues on. Uh, in verse 3, this is what the Lord says. The city will most certainly be handed over to the king of Babylon's army. He'll capture it. Now in verse 4, the officials then said to the king, this man ought to die. Who are they describing? As this man, Jeremiah, ought to die because he's weakening the morale of the warriors who remain in this city. Like, you're saying don't fight. We're saying yes, fight. And of all the people by speaking to them in this way, this man is not seeking the well-being of this people, but disaster. Jeremiah, look, if there's anybody that's not going to bail, it's him. And now here they're, they're bringing an affront to this guy. Scripture then just says, King Zedekiah says, here he is. He's in your hands since the king can't do anything against you. Huh. Verse 6. Watch what this says. So they took Jeremiah and they dropped him. Interesting. Here's Mindy's painting into the cistern of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the guard's courtyard, lowering Jeremiah with ropes. There was no water in the cistern, only mud. And Jeremiah sank in the mud. So here you have in Jeremiah 38, because of the words that he's releasing, they think that they're crushing morale with the warriors. Let's just throw him into the cistern. Scripture then continues on. But Ebed-Melech, an important name to know, a Cushite court official employed in the king's palace, heard Jeremiah had been put into the cistern. 
While the king was sitting at the Benjamin gate, verse 8, Ebed-Melech went from the king's palace and he spoke to the king. Verse 9, he says, My lord, the king, these men have been evil in all they've done to Jeremiah the prophet. They've dropped him into the cistern where he will die from hunger because there is no more bread in the city. So the king said, all right, to Ebed-Melech, the Cushite, all right, take 30 guys. 30 men under your authority pulled Jeremiah the prophet up from the cistern before he dies. He hasn't eaten. He's clearly going through starvation period of time. And the scripture just continues. And so this is what Ebed-Melech does. He took the men under his authority, went to the king's palace to a place below the storehouse. From there, he took old rags, tied out worn up claws and lowered them down by ropes to Jeremiah in the cistern. And it's cool. They actually give him instructions on how to actually hold on to the rags. They said, place these old rags and clothes between your armpits and the ropes. And Jeremiah did so. And then it says uh, in verse 13, and they pulled him up with the ropes and lifted him up out of the cistern. But he continued to stay in the guard's courtyard. So here he is not running away from, from any trouble. Kevin, if you go to verse 16 for me, would you? Verse 16 then says, King Zedekiah swore to Jeremiah in private, as the Lord lives, who's given us this life, I will not kill you or hand you over to these men who want to take your life. Verse 18 says this, but if you do not surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then this city will be handed over to the Chaldeans. What is Jeremiah doing, Kevin? He's releasing a word again. What is he saying? They'll burn it down and you yourself will not escape from them. I mean, this dude literally has a repeat button. Hey, you got a word for me? Burn. Hey, you got a word for me? Not going to escape. <laughs> I mean, it's over and over. And Zedekiah, may, maybe the button will be broken. <laughs> Would you go to verse 24 for me, Kevin? In verse 24, then Zedekiah warned Jeremiah, don't let anybody know about these things or you'll die. Like, don't tell anybody about this stuff. Yeah, whoops. Verse 25, if you can, Kevin. If the officials hear that I've spoken with you and come and demand of you, tell us what you said to the king. Don't hide anything from us and we won't kill you. Also, what did the king say to you? Verse 26. Then you'll tell him I was bringing before the king my petition that he did not return me to the house of Jonathan to die there. Keep going. When all the officials came to Jeremiah and they questioned him, just like they said it was going to happen, he reported the exact words to them that the king had commanded and they quit speaking with him because nothing had been heard. And here it is in verse 28. Jeremiah remained in the guard's courtyard until the day Jerusalem was captured, and he was there when it happened. So Jeremiah remained in prison at the time of captivity. That makes sense? So here he is amidst all of this. You kind of you wonder, like, man, Jeremiah's been through a lot. John MacArthur did an interesting trials of Jeremiah, just when you look through the life of Jeremiah. I mean, because we talked about you guys clearly uh, you know, he almost died of starvation while in the cistern, right? If it wasn't for Ebed-Melech who came in and said, hey, I want to do this. But you remember, in, and you don't have to go there, Kevin, but in Jeremiah 11, there was trial by death threats. In Jeremiah 15, he was trial by isolation. In trial uh, in uh, Jeremiah 19, trial by stocks. In Jeremiah 26, he was trial by arrest. In Jeremiah 28, the trial by challenge. In Jeremiah 36, trial by destruction. In 37, there was violence and imprisonment. 38, which we referenced, starvation. In, in chapter 40, we're going to hear trial by chains. And in chapter 42, trial by rejection. Over and over of this man's life. At least the 23 years that we've heard, haven't even got into chapter 40 yet. All this guy does is experience nothing but negativity. You guys remember our story of our friend Isaiah? In chapter 20, when the guy ran around naked for three years and barefoot. 
you imagine running around naked and barefoot and you know the entire time nobody's going to listen to your word and I'd be thinking, dude, is this really necessary? That's all of Jeremiah's life. Nobody's listening and yet God says do it and what does he do? He still does it. And that's our transition, you guys, if we can. Let's get into the actual loaded chapter of Jeremiah 39. Yep, this is the fall of Jerusalem. Like this is it. Okay, this is kind of where you go to like, wow, did that really just happen? Yes, this is going to be talking about the second time, okay? Three different times of deportation, okay? We'll get into this. This is the second one of 588 through 586 B.C. That's the famous one we always say, 586 B.C., 586 B.C. This is the one that we're talking about. Now, here's what you have to understand. In verse 1, it says this, In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, King Nebuchadnezzar, remember from Babylon, He advanced against Jerusalem with his entire army and he laid siege to it. Now, Kevin, can you go to our big map here, our purple map? You got to remember this, okay? So the Babylonians, right? King Nebuchadnezzar, right? They are all ending up, this is all their territory, okay? But they end up to Jerusalem where they, Jerusalem will be, this is it. Jerusalem's going to fall. It's quite a distance, to be honest. We'll get into some of that distance here in a little bit. But you got to think through, this siege took from Again, there's estimated time frames. Some would even be so specific that in January of 588 BC, all the way to July of 586 BC, okay, over the course of a time period of at least probably 30 months, the enemy was surrounding the city walls, cutting off all the entrances. And John MacArthur even says, and then exited, uh, literally, um, they cut off all the food supplies as much as possible. So famine, thirst, and disease were truly weakening the city. This is what we're talking about. When we say that they came against Jerusalem, these are all the features that took place. Kevin, this was not just literally just like a one-day fight. This was a process. And it was a big process. This is the fall of Jerusalem. You can read more about the fall of Jerusalem. We don't need to go there in 2 Kings 25 and in 2 Chronicles 36. You can read more about this fall, the fall of the holy city. And in verse 2, it says, In the fourth month of Zedekiah's eleventh year, On the ninth day of the month, the city was broken into. Finally, the walls had been breached. Food supplies were exhausted. And it says in verse 3, all the officials of the king of Babylon, they entered and then they sat at the middle gate. Okay, these are the officials. Nergal Sherezel, Samgar Nebo, Sarsakim the Rabsaris, Nergal Sherezer the Rabmag, and all the rest of the officials of Babylon's King, Kevin, that's a lot of officials' names. (laughs) Basically, what you're saying is that when they sit in the middle gate, it's done. This is an expression that really the the military was occupying like the city, the heart of the city. And it was the gate between the upper city, Mount Zion, and the lower city to the north. And so really, I think this is a, a crazy thought to think through. Okay, but hang in here with me. And I like what Warren Wiersbe says. Basically, when Babylon came in and took over uh, Jerusalem, in Luke 21, 24, if you'll go there. Okay, I, I just want to throw out this thought from Warren Wiersbe. And I, I think it's, it's an interesting one. In Luke 21, 24, it says, They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Okay. Now, this could be referencing 70 AD, right, Kevin? So there's two big falls, right, of Jerusalem, 586 and 70 AD. 
But I, I want to say, and I like this picture, that when 586 B.C. took place, uh, what Wearsby says, this is the times of the Gentile. And it, it was almost like God's prophetic calendar just started ticking. It was kind of like, you know, the times of the Gentile is now going to start to take place. And it's interesting because then you get into 70 A.D. And it, wh- what does this even say, Kevin, back in the Luke 21, 24? It says they will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. God has a timeline of how long this is going to take place. There I say that 586 B.C. at least portrays a foreshadow of the 70 A.D. and what's to come. It says in verse uh, 4, when he saw them, this is Zedekiah, Zedekiah king of Judah, meaning all the officials, remember hanging out in the middle, in the middle gate, when he saw them uh, and all the soldiers, they fled. They left the city at night by way of the king's garden through the gate between the two walls. So somewhere he slipped through like the king's garden and it's between these two walls and they left along the route. I kind of picture, you know, this dude perfect. You guys ever heard of dude perfect? You've heard of dude perfect. They're wearing these sumo suits and in order to shoot the ball, they had to do this. <laughs> and they had to go literally between two walls. Like I just picture these kings, like they're, they're sliding out, they're going out, however they can get out of here. It says they left along the route to the Arabah. Now, it continues on, as they're fleeing, however, the Chaldean army pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. So, Rich, we know he actually made it a little bit of a distance, right? If you're you're going from Jerusalem, I think you have another map as well. The Anathoth one, I think, maybe you might have that. Uh, But here you have, okay, here you have Jerusalem. So now, King Zedekiah and his army, they get caught here in Jericho, okay? So, yeah, he made it a little bit of distance. They pursued them, overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho, arrested him, brought him to Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon's king. And then where did they, where did they take him, Kevin? It says they took him to Riblah. So if you want to go back to our other map, and we know that Riblah, Kevin, if I'm, am I, is it right? It's right around under here in the Aram section, right below the Harmath. So here's what this says. It says, and they brought him to Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar's whole crew right here at Riblah in the land of Hamath. Okay, so right here in this area, the king passed sentence on Zedekiah, the last king of the king of Judah. Now, remember, all of I'm almost tired just saying this all of Jeremiah's life. Hey, the city's going to burn and you're not going to do well. It actually happened. Jeremiah 39.5. It finally happened. The judgment, the prophecy, everything that he's been talking about. And then in verse six at Riblah, the king of Babylon he slaughtered Zedekiah's sons before his eyes. And he also slaughtered, slaughtered all of Judah's nobles. Over and over, all of the prophetic word was coming to fruition. Verse 7. And then watch this. It says, Then he blinded Zedekiah and put him in bronze chains to take him to Babylon. So here he is here. So now he gets his eyes poked out, literally. And then he's taking him all the way to Babylon. Just so you can see some of the text here in Jeremiah 32, 4. We've already let reference this, but just it's a it's a pretty unique perspective. Jeremiah 32, 4 says this. This is maybe where you could get all how it fits together. Zedekiah, king of Judah, will not escape. Remember, this is a prophetic word from the Chaldeans. Indeed, he will certainly be handed over to the Babylonian, the Babylon's king, which is true. They will speak face to face and meet eye to eye. There's that language of, okay, at one point he saw him eye to eye. Just hear me out on this, okay? Now, if you go to Kevin, uh, Ezekiel 12, 13. So scripture says in Ezekiel 12, 13, but I will spread my net over him and he will be caught in my snare. 
I will bring him to Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans. He will not see it and he will die there. So that language of Kevin, he won't see Babylon would imply what? He's not going to see it. He can't see it, but he's still going to come because he's coming in gold chains. He's going to be taken to, to Babylon. The Chaldeans next burned down. I'm in verse eight. There it is. There's that language. Burn. Burned down the king's palace and the people's houses and tore down the walls of Jerusalem. Dare I start reading all of the prophecies that Jeremiah predicted that said this was going to happen? In Jeremiah 39, 8, it actually happened. They burned down the palace. They burned down the houses. And here it says the walls of Jerusalem. But if you go to Jeremiah 52, 13, I want to make sure you see something that's not listed in 8. But in Jeremiah 52, 13, it is. It says he also in this time period burned the Lord's, temp- the Lord's temple. So in 586 BC, maybe in July, maybe, they burned down houses, palace, walls, and the house of the Lord. In verse 9, Nebuzaradan, the commander of these guards, deported the rest of the people to Babylon. Those who had remained in the city and those deserters who had defected to him along with the rest of the people who had remained. And finally, in verse 10, hear this. However, Nebuzaradan, the commander of the guards, what does he do? He left in the land of Judah some of the poor people who owned nothing, and he gave them vineyards and fields at the time. So, all right, here it is. We've talked about this. Okay, Warren Wearsby listed it out as the deportation. Okay? The deportation comes from, yes, Jerusalem to all the way. They're eventually going to be coming into Babylon. One is, we've talked about this, is it's in 597 B.C., Okay, that's the first wave. The second wave, which is what we're talking about now, is 586 B.C., okay? And that's what we're talking about, 39, 1 through 10, okay? Then you can get into, there's another wave in 582 B.C., which really comes in 5230. And if you want to get really specific, this one's going to come in 5228. It sounds kind of like, why do you have to know that? Because over and over again, you see different waves of people being taken back. And in all of this, Kevin, what does he do? He still leaves people. He leaves some poor people. They're seen not as a threat, basically. Yeah, they're not a threat. Just give them some vineyards, give them some fields, just let them live off of the land. That's all they care about. So it says in verse 11, here we begin to see, First of all, you're transitioning to everything. Everything just happened. Everything that we've been talking about in Jeremiah, it finally happened. In Jeremiah 39, it finally happened. And then 11, it says, Speaking through Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he gave orders concerning Jeremiah, saying this, Take him, look after him, and don't let any harm come to him. Do for him whatever he says. Why on earth do you think, Kevin, Rich, why, why would King Nebuchadnezzar even say this about Jeremiah? Because somewhere he's probably heard what he's been prophesying. And has he really ever spoken that bad about Nebuchadnezzar? Not really. I mean, maybe he didn't hear the end of some of these prophecies. <laughs> you know, like it's going to come onto them. But he always is saying Nebuchadnezzar is going to come and burn and he's going to kill. He's going to take care of everybody. Like, that's what it says. He's going to wipe out. And so if I'm Nebuchadnezzar, I'll be like, hey, I kind of like this guy. You know, he's, I thought he was on their team, but the reality is he's saying, hey, we got the good stuff. So he says, take care of him, look after him, don't let any harm come to him, do whatever he says. My first thought is, I wonder if he's going to say he owns land. You know? Hey, by the way, because, right, he bought land from his cousin. So here's what happens in verse 13. Nebuchadnezzar, 
captain of the guard, Nebuchadnezzar, the Rabsaris, Nergal, anybody else tired? Nergal, Sharazar, the Rabmeg, that's, that's his nickname, the Rabmeg, and all the captains of the king of Babylon had Jeremiah brought, I mean, this is like, like a big time criminal, right? And he has a massive escort. <laughs> he had Jeremiah brought from the court's, guard's courtyard, and then he turned him over to Gadaliah, son of Ahakam, son of Shaphnan, to take him home. So he settled among his own people. He bought land while he was in prison. And Kevin, according to this verse, what happens? He goes home. He gets to go home. He gets to go to Jerusalem. He gets to be with his people, maybe even in the land of Benjamin, maybe just in that area. What a crazy picture of how he was released. And yet he bought land with 17 shekels and God set him free. And Kevin, all of his life, his message was of rejection and persecution and judgment. And all of those people have to go through captivity. And what does he get to do? He gets to go home. Now, he gets to hang out with a bunch of poor people living off the fields. (laughs) But at least he's got some people to hang out with. At least he can love on them and speak into them. Now, this guy, Gedaliah, just so you know, uh, eventually in chapter 40, verse 7, he actually becomes governor. So it's kind of an interesting component. He, Nebuchadnezzar actually ended up making him governor over the remnant left in the land. So you know that we'll hear more about this with Jeremiah and Gedaliah in that land because there's going to be a small little group that's hanging out in the land. It says in verse 15, uh, do you remember Ebed-Melech? This is a quiz. All right, let's go to Tom. Tom, this is the last of the last this week. This is the full week of Jeremiah. Do you remember who Edeb, Ebed-Melech is, Tom? This is a good one. Kevin, you're good. It looks like you're running, but you're not. He pulled him up out of the cistern. Yeah, he said, hey, look, man. Hey, look, go, like, come on, please. Let's cut some slack to Jeremiah. This is Tom. This is Kevin with the rope. I thought Kevin was milking a cow. <laughs> I did too. Kevin's like, hey, Tom, he's a, he milks cows. That's good, Rich. No, man, so now the word of the Lord had come to Jeremiah when he's confined in the guard's courtyard, right? Go tell Ebed-Melech the Cushite. Uh, Cush is Ethiopia, right? I'm pretty sure. So go tell Ebed-Melech the, the Ethiopian, which we have wristbands, by the way, now in Amharic. And Tom, do you remember the other language? Oromo. Oromo, yeah. So an Ethiopian. This is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel says. I'm about to fulfill my words for harm and not for good against this city, meaning Jerusalem. They'll take place before your eyes on that day. But I will rescue on that day. This is the Lord's declaration. And you will not be handed over to the men you fear. Indeed, I will certainly deliver you so that you do not fall by the sword because you have trusted in me. You will keep your life like the spoils of war. This is the Lord's declaration. I was looking at some notes in all of these, this story. I mean, I, f- I feel like we made it. <laughs> I know we got to go to chapter 52, but I feel like we made this thing. Like, wow, Jeremiah's words over and over again. Zedekiah doesn't like his words, but yet somewhere in here, Ebed-Molech is like, man, I believe in this guy. And there is a little chart here, and it's super simple. Here you have one, it's the faithful. And then you have another one that's the faithless. Kevin, let's start off. Who would you put on the faithful side? I would put Ebed Malek. 
Okay, Ebed Melech. Okay, Rich, we got two other names. Who else would you put in the faithless or the faithful category? Well, in faithful, I would put Jeremiah. That is correct. Here we have the prophet Jeremiah. Now, Tom, you want to give us an idea of the last king of Judah? Zedekiah. Zedekiah. Over and and over and over, Zedekiah proved he had no faith in God. (laughs) Can I just tell you, when it happens, when you function in faith, you're free. When you function with no faith, (laughs) he went away, you guys, with gold chains and taken to Babylon. You're in bondage. All I would challenge you is, is Ebed Molech and Jeremiah, they function in faith. And I have to tell you, and they were free. All right, guys, have an incredible day. Thanks for plowing through Jeremiah 37, 38, and 39. And I look forward to more as we continue to explore Jeremiah 40 and on tomorrow. Thanks.